curious minds. And here is your host, Gary Cachulio. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candice Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Who Do Justice Magic, binaural production engineer Damien Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, monthly co-host Jared Murphy, Author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. And monthly co-host Kat Baldwin, author of The Forgiveness Workshop. If you are interested in contributing to the show, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find everything you need there. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger and Return of the Reluctant Messenger. Is that the second one? Well, that's close. It's the Reluctant Messenger Returns. Yeah, and thank you for coming on. Oh, Gary, thank you. You know, I love coming on your podcast because your podcast, Everything Imaginable, is precisely that. You know, sometimes I'll go on a podcast and I, you know, kind of prepare for it, but it's like, oh, I don't have to with Gary because we can talk about anything and everything. (laughs) It doesn't matter. (laughs) That is true. So I, I know that you've been uh, putting out some new stuff, I noticed. Can you tell me a little bit about yeah. what you've been up to? Sure. Um, well, you know, I have The Reluctant Messenger, mm-hmm. and then The Reluctant Messenger Returns. And the, the return part is really, it focuses on some of my connections with angels. But then, uh, actually, there's two other things I've produced. But the most recent is a series mm-hmm. of books. And the series is called From the Reluctant Messenger. But these are very, very short books. And right now there's four of them. But my publisher is having us, um, they're going to release them like one each month. And one has been released and it's called From the Reluctant Messenger in the Beginning. Now, right now, these are just e-books. But what we're going to do is make them um, like a collector's edition. I have a really deluxe cover that's foil stamped, maybe leather bound. But they'll be really small books that they would be, <clears throat> excuse me, perfect for gifting or maybe like at Christmas time for stocking stuffers. But what my publisher said was, if you look at the content in my books, they're so different and they appeal to so many different audiences. And he said, each book, you know, almost each chapter could be standalone. Mm. So that's what these are. We've got four of them so far. The one that's already reduced and they're only ebooks and they're only like $2 and 99 cents. But the first one is in the beginning. The one in May is stampede and that's going to talk about some native um some some native cultural icons uh the third one is a crystalline grid which is real woo woo new agey Mm -hmm. and the fourth one is i dreamed a dream so it's going to talk about about dreaming but this first one called in the beginning gary by far that 
describes the most significant spiritual experience that I've ever had. Now, you know my story. I'm, I'm, I was the, a psychologist. The one with the tree? Right. I, I mean, here I am, a psychologist grounded in science. I believe only what I can measure with my physical senses. I'm driving to work one day, and all of a sudden, these messages drop in, and I have this beautiful uh, mystical experience with the tree. So my life before this was grounded in science, and now it's, I don't know what it is, but it sure, <laughs> it sure isn't that. But in the beginning, talks about an experience that I had that actually took place like over a week's time, and I witnessed what what I think is creation. I mean, it was, it was just unbelievable. But anyway, my life has changed and I absolutely love it. It's, it's so exciting. I never know where the world's going to take me these days. So what is, um, or like what was revealed to you about creation? You know, what is it? What is it that's doing this sometimes? Like I wonder, like, 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 like I, I understand like, like most likely, what we're living in is, is really just a form of consciousness, not so much a physical reality. But it it drives me nuts sometimes just trying to imagine where this consciousness came from, why it right. is here, why is it doing what it is doing. And, you know, this is where I was before I had my spontaneous opening. I was living in the physical this was my world. If I couldn't measure it with my physical senses, it didn't exist. And then all of a sudden, this new world opens. And I realize that this physicality that we, quote, live in is so limited. Mm-hmm. It's, it's only just a fraction of who we really are. Who we really are, and I don't know what that the answer to that is, but there's this um, non-physical part. It's whether it's energy or spirit or soul, you know, whatever you want to call it. But it's that world of the non-physical that really defines who we are. You know, I'm a fan of Monroe Institute, mm-hmm. and Bob Monroe uh, had an affirmation, and it began with, "I am more than my physical body," and. To me, that says it all. Once we realize that who we are is not this physical shell that we inhabit, but that that timeless nature, that soul, that spirit, then your whole life shifts because all those questions do open up. Who are we? Why are we here? What's our purpose? And, you know, you, you, you could ask yourself those questions all day long and come what, I come up with different answers each time. But it's each for us to discover what's true within our hearts and where we go from here. How do we do that? Like, like how does one begin to discover what is inside our hearts? How do we even start our own journey? Like I know for for you and and for me, it was more of like these spontaneous events that happened. Like you had that thing with the tree. I had like a near death experience, you know. 
But yeah. for people that don't have that, but but are curious and want to begin some their search, how do you think they should proceed? Like like what type of suggestions would you make to them to get to um explore the idea that they're not just a human body? Well, first of all, I think you hit the nail on the head when when you talk about what do people do if they want to explore this. Because if you have a curiosity, if you want to search for answers, you're already on the right path. You know, you and I were, were lucky. I mean, it's hard to say you were lucky because you had a near-death experience, but at least it was near-death and not death. But we did have those spontaneous openings. So without searching, things just happen and our worlds changed. But if you're curious about this, but you don't know how to search it, you don't know where to go, what I would suggest is pay attention to your dreams. Start a dream journal. And Gary, I, I think I've told you this before. I have a dream journal that is almost 250,000 words long. Wow. I've kept it since 2002. And I jot dreams down when I wake up each morning, whether they're significant or not. And I put it, I, you know, I have them on a, um, a word document so I can search them if it, if it's ever important, uh, or something I want to, want to research. Or sometimes my messengers will come to me and say, go back and search that dream from, you know, whatever, you know, 10 years ago and I can go and I can find it. But think about it. When you are asleep and when you're dreaming, our personalities, our egos, are asleep. So we're not judging. In a dream, we can reach through a wall or step, you know, out into space. And we don't stop, we don't stop ourselves to judge. We don't stop and say, well, we can't do that. We allow it to happen. And because our egos are asleep, we, and I've got these air quotes that your audience can't see, but the true we, who we really are, which is spirit, which is non-physical, is allowed to go and explore this world that is available to us, actually at all times, but most readily available during the dream state. So taking those things that we learn from dreams, such as don't judge an experience in the waking state, now, what I found as a psychologist, when these things were happening to me with my spontaneous opening, I started getting messages and they were like dictation. Mm -hmm. I would hear, you know, not, not really, it wasn't an auditory hallucination, but words would come in so precisely and they would tell me how to end, end a sentence, you know, what punctuation to use, when to start a new paragraph, um, if I made a mistake, I would hear, strike that, and they would give me the correct wording. So it was spoon-fed to me. But as a psychologist, my training kicked in. So I didn't judge it, but instead, which is what we do in our dreams, I stepped back and I allowed the information to flow. And then I documented it in, in another Word document. And after a while, I had 
all of this documentation and a lot of it I could research and I would research it. And it's like, oh my goodness, you know, here's something I've never even heard of that came to me and it was validated. So by having curiosity, having that desire to explore what's more to life than just our physical bodies, when something comes to you, whether it's, whether it's in a dream or whether it's just a thought that comes from nowhere, something that's a little unusual, or you, your eye catches something that you've maybe passed before but never really seen, and all of a sudden you're looking at it. Give pause. Stop. Take a breath and say, what is this? Why am I seeing this? Why do I see this differently? Is there a message here for me? And kind of take your temperature. How do you feel? Do you feel happy? Do you feel anxiety? Do you, you know, what is it you're feeling? And ask for clarification. So quite often, but not quite often, our messengers, our guides, our angels are around us all the time trying to get us to pay attention to them. We're too busy in our 3D lives to usually pay attention to that. That's why they'll come to us in our dreams. But starting off with that curiosity, then stepping back and allowing it to unfold and just see what happens. Document it. Look at it later. Something that may seem insignificant now, whether it's in a dream or something that you just you know, have this feeling about in the waking state, it may have significance next week or maybe next month, but you'll have it right there to take a look at. So you started being curious in this dream journal prior to the awakening or download or whatever you want to call it. So, so the, that means there was already a desire there. Yes. So prior, and, I'm, I'm kind of working this backwards, like, Okay. What was it that began the desire to explore dreams? I mean, was it just like Carl Jung stuff from your clinical training? Or was there a deeper search that you were maybe subconsciously reaching out? Yeah. Well, it was, you know, and it's really interesting because I never even thought about that curiosity actually started with the dreams. And that's what opened me up. What I realized later was the messengers were around me trying to give me messages and I wasn't ready. That's why they came to me in the dream state. But, you know, I'd like to say it was my training as a psychologist in Young's work, but no, it was much more um, egotistic than that. You know, when something actually affects you, you take notice. I can remember I can remember a dream that it, it wasn't my dream, but it was a dream that my mother had. And she told me this dream. This is before I started keeping a dream journal. Mm -hmm. But there are certain times in your lives when you know something will happen. It's like, you don't have to document it. You will always remember it. Well, one of the things that I'll never forget was a dream that my mother shared with me. This is way, way back in like 1970. 
I had just come home from college and uh, for a long weekend. And I got up one morning and, and I was talking to my mother. And she told me this dream that she had, Gary. And she said that my sister, Jana, came to her in a dream and said one sentence. She said, Mama, Mr. Johnson is with me. And I'm thinking, hmm, that's kind of weird. Now, the backstory is my sister Jana had recently died in a car accident. You know, so from my clinical training, and here I was in college to become a psychologist, when you die, that's it. You're dead, you're gone. So I'm thinking, what is this? Of course, I thought, okay, it's wishful thinking. You know, my mother wants to connect with my sister. That's all there is to it. Well, that evening, Gary, when the paper came in, there was Mr. Johnson's obituary. And I could not wrap my brain around this. I thought, I don't understand this. You know, first of all, we didn't know Mr. Johnson. He was the CEO of a business college my sister had graduated from, but he wasn't a friend of the family. We knew nothing of him, so we didn't know whether he was sick and, you know, that it was nothing we could have predicted. Mm -hmm. But that dream, because I couldn't really understand it, gave me two life-altering lessons. One is when you pass away, you're not dead and gone. There's a part of you, an aspect of you, that is still there and is able to function to the point that you're welcoming others to the other side and you're able to communicate that. So that was a dream, not that I had, but that my mother had that made me realize life is not always the way you think it is. I, I could no longer look at dreams the way I had before. And what I realized, that dream that she had actually was not a dream. It's called a visitation. And I know that now. I mean, think about so many people who have someone, a loved one that's passed away, and they'll have a dream of them in a few weeks or months or whatever. And you feel so good when you have that dream, but then you wake up and you think, you discount it. You say, oh, that's just a dream. Well, if you open open your heart if you if you allow yourself to realize what it was which was a visitation look at all the healing that comes from that when you realize that your loved one is not dead and gone they're just in another dimensional space and they're still there looking out over us watching us and we can still communicate with them i mean look how healing that is isn't that wonderful absolutely how did your mother respond to this dream? Like, 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 other than telling you, like, like, how did she explain it? Was she a believer in the afterlife? Was she into any type of metaphysics? What was her view on it? Well, that many years ago, she she had what I called, or what we call back then, ESP, extrasensory perception. If she told me, oh, I have a feeling about this, I would pay attention to that because I learned that her feelings always came true. But she, you know, what's interesting is she told me her dream before the newspaper came in. Mm -hmm. When that newspaper arrived that evening, 
I, I, I was sitting at the table. She was looking at the newspaper. And all of a sudden, and we were mid-conversation. All of a sudden, Gary, she just stopped. She stopped talking. She looked up at me, and she had this little smile on her face. And I could see her, like, just barely shaking her head, like, this is unbelievable. Without saying a word, she handed me that newspaper. And I thought, what is going on here? And when I read that, it was like, I was shocked. It's like, I, I just couldn't understand any of this. But she knew. She knew. Now, we never discussed anything where, you know, she would say, no. I'm, well, first of all, she was Christian, so she certainly believed in, you know, there is heaven. So when you die, you know, you go to heaven and that's your spirit. But as far as having someone who's crossed over be able to come back and connect with you, she had never talked with me about anything like that. I think this was probably one of the first visitations that she had ever had. But I realized if she could do that, we all can. Hmm. How about her mother? Did her mother have any type of abilities or messages? As, as far as I know, and I've, I've <clears throat> you know, reached out to my, uh, you know, in the past, I reached out to my mother's brothers and asked them about her gifts. It's like they were saying, gifts? What are you talking about? <laughs> so they were not aware of this at all. And you got to realize when she grew up, people didn't talk about things like this. It was all kind of hidden away. Now we see more and more people who are open to it. Like, for example, children. You know how many young kids will have invisible playmates? Yeah. Well, back when I was growing up, if, if your child had an invisible playmate, it's like, shh, don't tell anybody. Don't talk about it. People didn't know how to deal with that. It's different now. People are embracing this. So the skills that these kids have at a young age, they're not being shut down like they used to be. People are just more open because, first of all, it makes more sense to me to realize there's got to be more to life than what this physical body can experience. And what about me? The true me, my spirit. Where was I before I was in this body? Now, I grew up as a su Southern Baptist, and I tell people I'm a recovering Baptist. <laughs> um, we didn't believe in reincarnation. It's like, oh, no, the Bible doesn't talk about that. But actually, I think it does. Yeah, it does. <laughs> but, but, you know, we, we skipped those parts. Mm -hmm. But we never talked about things like this. And once you start realizing that, who you are is immortal. Who you are, your true nature, cannot die because it's energy. It can only change form. So once I started viewing the world through the lens of energy, this whole world opened. And it's like, oh, guess what? I was something before I incarnated into this life. And I'm going to be something else later on and you know maybe i can be in two places at one time um actually that's called bilocation a lot of people can do that we do it without realizing it but who we are is so 
different than what my training had showed me. I mean, we are these infinite beings of light and we can expand our awareness and reach into a world that most people can't see and, you know, start off with your dreams. That's a great starting place. Um, do you think, like, the reason I asked about the family stuff is because my mom uh-huh. definitely has some, some, some psychic abilities. And I believe that her mom did too. It's like this whole story in my family about how it was passed down to certain people and whatever. Um, which makes me think about sometimes like things like genetic memory, you know, like, like, like hereditary memory that's in our DNA. Um, and that memory is also somehow something that connects us to the spirit realm. You know, I think that there certainly is a genetic disposition for things like this. You know, I, I think part of what occurred with me, my spontaneous opening, I was probably predisposed to that opening because of my mother. But there's another side to look at, too, Gary. Um, what I've heard from the messengers is that the veil is thinning, that Earth, or as they call her, Gaia, which is the spirit of Mother Earth, that Gaia is transforming, and through an evolutionary process, our Earth is becoming more enlightened. And as she, Gaia, ascends toward these higher vibrational frequencies, as she transforms, Guess what? She brings us along with her, which she didn't have to. Thank goodness she did. So as Earth is going through this transformation, we are too. And as part of that, the veil is thinning. So on one hand, you've got the genetic predisposition to be open and to receive messages from spirit. But on the other hand, the veil is thinning. So it makes sense where someone who never was psychic in their past, like me, although I had my mother connection, um, all of a sudden I'm, I'm open because more and more people do this. And it's part of the thinning of the veil between these dimensional spaces. So I think it's, I think it's both. But so just because you may not have a family history of people um, being psychic or being intuitive, it doesn't mean that you cannot be because we're all leaning in that direction. With the earth or, or Gaia, you know, raising vibration and the lifting of this veil, um, have the messengers given you any information of what a future Earth Gaia will look like? Well, that's a great question. Um, there was one vision that I had that I wrote about in my first book where the messengers took me on this tour of this beautiful Earth. Actually, I saw two, two Earths like 
if, if you can just imagine looking out and you're seeing two different planet Earths, and I saw them slowly come together, and then they created one Earth that was better, greater than either of those two Earths together. And once they created this Earth, I flew around this Earth, and it was so real. And Gary, it's funny. I still think of myself as a psychologist. And in the past as a psychologist, to hear myself talk now, I would have been just shaking my head. It's like, okay, we need to get her to, you know, get her evaluated mm -hmm. right away. But now I actually know the truth. But when you have these visions, and it took me a long time before I actually embraced them, but there was all this data that supported, yes, the information I'm getting is true. So when I have these visions, Gary, they're more real than 3D life. Um, so I'm back to the vision. I'm, I'm zooming around this earth and I'm flying over these gorgeous waterfalls and I can actually feel the spray from the waterfall as it, you know, dampens my, my face and, and my clothing and my hair. And, and I zoomed over deserts and these beautiful fields of flowers. And it, it, it was, it was absolutely gorgeous. There was so much abundant life. Now, did I see people? No, but I saw animal life. I saw plant life. And I have no idea whether that was a vision of the past or whether I was viewing the future, or whether I was just viewing one of the possibilities of where we could go. I do know we're at, um, we're at a point where each of us can make decisions, and the decisions that we make individually will help alter the direction of Gaia's transformation. And, you know, it's so easy to think of yourself as being inconsequential and not important. But the messengers keep telling me, no, you, you, Gary, me, Candace, each person is so important. And what we choose to do, how we choose to act, really has these consequences, these, this ripple effect that affects that goes out and affects everyone. It's, you know, when you're driving in the car, if someone runs a stop sign and cuts you off, you know, how do you choose to react? You know, I used to get mad and, you know, just mumble under my breath. But now I look, you know, maybe this person was in a hurry because they're going to the hospital because their wife's having a baby or, you know, maybe there's a reason for this. But, I try to take a look at every single thing that I do during my day-to-day -day life, hour by hour, and I try to not react, but I try to act from my heart space. I try to always listen to the wisdom of my heart, and I really try to use kindness in everything that I do because 
every single one of us, as we step on this precipice of wherever our earth is going, we can help guide her by our choices. And if we choose to react, let me correct myself, if we choose to act in a way that's loving and kind, then that is helping to raise the vibrations, not only of ourselves, but of of Earth herself. One of the things that really stuck out to me is this idea that individuals' actions are significant. In a world where, you know, sometimes life seems insignificant, you know, it's, you know, carelessly disregarded and thrown away through war and poison and our air and food and um, neglect of each other. Um, did the messengers ever talk to you about those type of struggles that people go through? And why? Yes. They have told me, and, and I really understand it now, that we are all one. And I've heard that before. Unity, blah, blah, blah. You know, but I really get it now, Gary. Um, it's like the ocean. And if you see this wave, that crest in the middle of the ocean, and you know how you have those little droplets above the wave. We often think of ourselves, I know I did, as being that individual drop of water that I'm not related to anything. It's just me. I'm living my life. But within seconds, that crest, that wave falls back into the ocean. And that single drop that I thought I was is now part of the entire ocean. If we start looking at our lives as as unity, as being not individual, but part of all that is, then we would change the way we act. I mean, I would, I would hope that we would. If we see someone on the other side of the world as our brothers and sisters instead of them, you know, it's not us versus them. We are humanity. And it's not just so humans are related, but everything is related. Think about native culture and how our indigenous people had such beautiful respect for the land. They had such respect for the animal life. Even when they would have to kill animal life in order to live or, or to use the skins as shelter, they did so with respect. Yeah. If we could have that type of respect, and I think that we would, if it came down to the air quotes again, individual level, and we realize we are not individual, we're part of all that is. So by acting from your heart space and thinking in terms of what's best for humanity, then other things would just naturally fall in line we wouldn't be you know it's not us versus them it's all of us together and you know that that's the direction that i would love to see all of us go and i think that we will it 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 takes time but i think that we will so you think that, that what you and i are doing right now will actually make a difference 
Absolutely. I mean, take a look at all the podcasts that are out on things like this. There is there is a a thirst, a curiosity for knowing what's life about. But it's it's got to be more than just this. You know, get up every day, go to work every day, come home every day. There's more to life than just that. And I think more and more people are curious. Take a look at other people like you, Gary, who have had near-death experiences. You had a taste of, oh, my goodness, there's more than just this physical life. And once you've tasted that, you realize there's so much more. But, but yes, absolutely. I think podcasts like this where people become more curious and I, I just think that there's an awakening and that awakening is um, something that's going to help all of us. Interesting. Do you think that there's any forces out there that's trying to prevent this awakening? You know, um, people have asked me before about, you know, is there evil in this world? Is there bad in this world? And, you know, I, I'm not naive enough to say, no, there isn't, you know, because I'm sure that there are. But I also see that there may be negative things that occur out of ignorance. It may not be a choice to, you know, someone or some group may not be saying, oh, we're going to do something negative and bad. But by not, but by their specific point of view, and, and if you look in terms of energy, their, their energies are lower vibrations. Now, what I do, especially if I'm going to meditate, I make sure that I surround myself with higher vibrational frequencies. And what does that mean? That means laughing. That means love. That, that means just using your heart as discernment. The messengers have told me that the heart is a portal to the other side and how key it is in letting you I don't know, go about your day in a, you know, you want to go about your day in a natural way. But when something occurs and it's like, oh, what do I do? Use your heart. What does your heart or your gut or your instinct tell you? All of a sudden, you know, you, you see something and how do you feel about it? You feel good about it and pursue it. Does the hair on the back of your, your neck stand up? It's like, whoa, that doesn't feel so good. Trust that judgment. And avoid that. But use your own heart to discern your path. And the more that people do that, the less likely they are to inadvertently find themselves in lower vibrational frequencies that may end up in very um, negative behaviors. Hmm. When people, how, how does somebody discern what the heart is telling him versus the ego. It's a matter of, well, first of all, Gary, we can all do this. When, when we're born into this world as infants, we don't have language. We right. can't communicate our needs. And I remember, you know, I, have, I have two kids, and, and I remember when, when they were little, when they first started developing language, I thought, great, 
Now they can tell me why they're crying. They can, you know, they're going to, you know, we can truly communicate. And that's true. Once you start with language, you're able to share with other people in a way that you hadn't before. But energetically, what happens is before language is developed, we're using, we're using our brain through our heart space. We're using what animals use. We use instinct. We use our, our guts. And that's how we communicate. When we start developing language, that center of communication actually moves from the heart or from your belly to your brain. The key here is to find a balance. You know, how many times have you, once, you know, you're going to do something, you have to make a choice and, and it's like, okay, I'll do this instead of that. And then you do that and it doesn't work out. And it's like, oh, I knew better than that. I knew better than that. I can't tell you how many times I used to say, oh, I knew better. Why did I do that? Right. Now, when I'm presented with something, and it may be something, Gary, as simple as I'm going to work one day. I always take this route. And all of a sudden, I'm at a stoplight and my gut says, turn right instead of going straight. When that happens, I turn right. Now, it doesn't mean I've avoided, you know, this big car wreck that would have, you know, killed me or whatever. But it might mean that I'm no longer behind a car that has a flat tire that makes me late to work. I just fine-tune my senses. And all of a sudden, if I have a feeling about something, again, I take a deep breath and I, I pay attention to it. So what I'm doing is actually engaging my instinct or engaging my heart. It is always there in the background running but we've learned to tamp down those feelings those messages from our hearts and only use our analytical brains i mean as a psychologist i i analyzed now that's not correct i overanalyzed everything that i did i don't do that anymore i pay attention to my gut and if my gut or my heart tells me this is the direction i need to go then i abide by that so it's a matter of tapping into what we've always had, which is our gut instinct and our heart. If it feels right, go with it. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't, don't. So do you think as we evolve, our analytical mind will slowly move into the, or eventually move into the background and will we, our intuitive mind will move into the foreground and that will be how we'll start responding to situations rather than going, getting stuck in that over-analytical over phase, which honestly sometimes can just go on forever. <laughs> yeah, it, it does go on forever. You know, you, you, you make, I was always a list person. You know, it's like, these are the pros, these are the cons. Yeah. And I, you know, it's <clears throat> like, instead of just saying, okay, what do I need to do? You know, and just say a little prayer or, or ask for guidance and then think about it and say, oh, this is what I need to do. I do think as part of our evolutionary process, because we are transcending along with Gaia to a higher vibrational state. In order to be in a higher vibrational state, we find that it is the heart that will guide us there. So 
which is first, the chicken or, or the egg, and I think it's probably both. As we transcend, we learn that using the heart will benefit us more. If you want to kind of jumpstart the process and not allow it to unfold naturally, then here comes that curiosity, then intentionally pay attention to your heart. You know, the key is to really have a balance. We certainly want to use our brains. Yeah, of course we do. But we don't want to discount the wisdom from the heart. So it is part of the process. As we evolve, using our hearts will only become stronger and stronger, which is a great thing. Interesting. You know, I, I sometimes think that for myself, my brain just gets me in trouble. <laughs> it holds me back, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, Gary, I laugh because that was my entire life as a psychologist. You know, the brain is just this wonderful organ of intelligence and the smarter we are and the more we use our brains, the better we become. And it's like, that is so far from the truth. The brain is the organ of intelligence. Of course it is. But the most intelligent organ of the body is the heart. Mm-hmm. And when, when, when a fetus is first forming, you know, in the womb, Those first cells that develop are the heart cells. And from the heart, those cells go and form the other organs of the body like the brain. So everything goes back to the heart. But again, finding that balance, but always trusting and realizing that the heart is the most intelligent organ of the body will probably improve your life. It certainly has mine. You know, I went from just being this over-analytical, pragmatic, only believing, you know, this amount of truth into whatever I've developed now, you know, into now. But I just see there's so much more to life than what my brain is capable of perceiving. In fact, the messengers have told me about this. They have talked about the brain as being this this organ that actually is not capable of thinking or of thought like like we, quote, think it is. But instead, it's an organ that receives this the incoming information and then it processes it. Now, I'm going to I'm going to kind of go back to what we started with when we were talking about dreams. Think about how many inventions have been developed during people's dream state. Thomas Edison, I live here in Naples, Florida, and just a few miles north of here in Fort Myers is the Edison Ford estate. And Thomas Edison, I mean, this is where they would would winter. But Thomas Edison, when I went to visit his lab there, he has had a little cot so that when he was working on a project and he was stuck, he'd take a nap. And while I had wake up with the answers, 
because he knew and he understood that connection that occurs during sleep and during dreams. That is when you connect with these, with all that is, and it brings answers to you. So it's not his brain, but his brain's ability to tap into these larger frequencies during the dream state. I mean, I, I cannot tell you how many people probably have awakened from a dream with a thought and thinking, oh, now I know the answer to this. And they think that, like, they thought it. Mm -hmm. like, no, you didn't think it. But you allowed it to come into your awareness during your dream state. One of the things, like, you know, <clears throat> you know, the brain acting as a receiver. Um, as a psychologist point of view, has there ever been any research done on like, not just, I don't know why this is a weird question, but like, like people that have been lobotomized, like have, have had lobotomies on their minds, do they become more intuitive? Because they've turned off part of that head, part of the mind, or people that have suffered injuries. Well, that's that's interesting. I I don't know. I'm going to have to research that. I do know, and I was reading something the other day about this. Um, when people, there are some people that used to have like really really severe um, seizures all the time, and they would they would sever the corpus callosum. The corpus callosum, it's that band of nerves between the two hemispheres of the brain. Mm -hmm. So they would split it to stop those signals from these people having seizures, you know, all day long. And you know the saying um, where the right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing? This is literally what would happen when you have a split corpus callosum, one side of their body would be functioning. The other side of their body would be functioning independent. Like, for example, if one hand picked up a knife, your right hand picked up a knife, your left hand might think, uh oh, what, what's this other hand going to do with the knife? And they would grab your other hand. But it was like you had two separate people within one brain. So to go back to answer your question, I have no idea. But it's to me, it, it really is fascinating to look at the brain and how it operates. But when I realized it is just that that organ that does help us connect, but it, it also restricts us. And one reason it restricts us, one one thing that messengers told me is, if we look at the energy, Gary, of who we really are, now again, that's our essence, our soul, our spirit. It is so expansive and it is so powerful that that energy could not come fully into this physical body without frying our circuits. You know, our brain could not contain or the other organs of our body could not contain all of that energy that comes to us so that's why there is a veil veil of forgetfulness and that is why our senses 
are the way they are. Our senses aren't able to fully comprehend everything that there is. So in order to tap into that larger energy of who we are, we don't do it through the physical body where we're limited by our senses. We do it through our energy body. So we learn to step outside of this physical domain and use our energy body. And that's exactly what we do during sleep and during dreaming. We use our heart to move our essence into a field of energy. And once we're in that field of energy, then we're able to receive messages and understanding that goes well beyond words. Do you think that people that suffer from things like schizophrenia um, that are having hallucinations and audio voices and stuff like that um, are actually experiencing a reality that is more real than what you and I are experiencing because we have filters in place? Yes, yes and no. Okay, because I'm I am sure as a psychologist, I am sure that there are some people that probably really have uh um hallucinations that, that are based on um you know something organic that's that's going on with, with their brain that, that there's things just aren't wired correctly. However, and Gary, this is what I had to confront. My first day when I um, started getting messages way back August 28, 2013, this message comes in word by word, and this is exactly what I was confronted with. I'm going to work early. My work is a psychologist. So the first thing that came to mind was, oh, my gosh, have I become psychotic? Am I hearing things that aren't there? Am I seeing things? What is going on here? I realized, and it took me a while to realize it, no, I had actually tapped into this beautiful world of spirit. And when I really came to that realization, and part of it was like after I had this that message, that's when I saw that royal poinciana tree that just was the first mystical experience I've, I've ever, ever had. But I realized, Gary, and at the time that I got this message, I was a school psychologist, but my training was in clinical psychology. And I realized, what about all those people I'd worked with in the past when they presented to me this, this whole scenario where they were connecting with the angels and guides and I'd labeled them as being psychotic. And it, it made me want to go back and it was too late, but to go back with a different lens and realize some of those people were not speaking from pathology. There was nothing pathological about it, but I didn't have the frame of reference to understand it for what it was. Luckily, more and more psychologists are being trained to realize that that's that there's more than what our brains can register 
-hmm. You know, a lot of psychologists are being trained in mindfulness. They know about meditation. But yes, there are so many people that have been misdiagnosed. And I was one doing the misdiagnosing years ago that they had a gift and they maybe didn't have the, and they needed help. They needed help to learn how to shut it down and put it on hold until the time was appropriate for that information to come out. You know, it's great to be receiving messages. You can learn so much from them. You don't want them coming in when you're in the middle of talking to your boss. You need to know how to tuck it aside and then access it when a time is appropriate. So, yeah, they needed help, but not like the type of help we gave them then. So how does one tell the difference between spirituality and crazy? <laughs> oh, that's a great, that's a great question. What, well, you, you may actually have crazy that is still spiritual, but the, but the people just need to know about control. But you can also have, you know, air quotes, crazy, um, that may look like spirituality and it really isn't. But, and, and this is where my clinical training comes in. What I would have to take a look at is how does the person function? How are their um, activities of daily living? Are they able to go to a job? Are they able to drive a car and go to the grocery store? How do they function day to day? If they are so involved in a world that others cannot see and to the point where they're not functioning on a daily basis, then that's when they really need to seek help. Now, you notice I said seek help. That doesn't necessarily mean crazy, but learning how to control what they have. Um, maybe they need medication. Maybe they do need a psychiatrist. But maybe they don't. But it all goes back to they should seek help when they're not able to function on a daily basis. Okay. <clears throat> and, you know, you know, I'm a fan of Monroe Institute. And a lot of people will come to the programs at Monroe Institute because they're seeking control. A lot of people have out-of-body experiences and, like, and a lot of people want to have them, but there are some people that have them all the time. And they're wonderful, but it's like, I don't want to have them when I'm in the middle of a conversation with the peer. So they're looking how to control that. So, that, you know, there are a lot of people like that that um, just need to learn some skills on how to control their gift that we might call gifts, but they may not call them that if they don't have control over it. So I'll ask you a personal question about from your, your, your doctor point of view, you know, about this. Um, like I take medication, an anti-seizure medication, and my, my near-death out-of-body experience happened during a seizure. So I'm essentially right. taking this medication to turn that part of me off, you know, so it doesn't happen, so I can drive and do normal stuff. And then because of the side effects of that, I have to take a mild antidepressant to kind of keep you from really getting moody right. and stuff like that. Sometimes I feel like 
I should stop taking this medication because it's preventing me from having a full experience of true reality. Should I stop? Okay, couple things because here. It's like this this verse, this is this little thing. It's like, oh, I gotta function, I gotta go to work, I gotta go do this. But at the same time, it's like, man, I'm I'm really shutting down something big. Right, right. Okay, let me address this a couple ways. Uh, first of all, a disclaimer. I'm not a medical doctor, so I'm not going to give you any kind of advice as far as should you take medication, should you not. And all of your all of your audience, if there's a medication question, talk with your physician. But I remember how I talked about the activities of daily living. If your medication allows you to be able to have a driver's license and drive and be functional, then, hey, there's nothing <laughs> nothing wrong with that. It's allowed you to have a functionality that you may not have without it. Right. But, Gary, I understand. I understand what you're saying. Oh, if I don't have this, these medications, then maybe I can have full-blown experiences and I can really, you know, expand myself. Okay, let's step back. Remember one of our topics that we talked about was podcasts like yours. And look, I mean, you know, you, you've been in the top 100 of podcasts. This is great. Mm-hmm. Do you realize how many people are tuning in to listen to what you have to say? So although you, Gary, may not be having the experience that you could, you are sharing your experiences and experiences of other people with such a huge audience that you are certainly doing your job as far as getting it out there and letting other people share in the work. So maybe that's your balance. You may not have that experience, but you're allowing so many other people to share in an experience and that is that's priceless Gary that's priceless mm-hmm. and plus your next let's say you do go off your medication maybe your next near-death experience may not be near <laughs> and we wouldn't want that I suppose but sometimes I just wonder <laughs> if I had enough money to just hire a chauffeur then we'll yeah. have to take them I wouldn't have to take medication anymore. But then again, I also wonder, like, if if, if that type of experience might make me intolerable for other people, too. <laughs> it, it, it might. And from, from my experience, other people are usually pretty good about letting you know that, too. <laughs> <laughs> they are. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly... Look how many people you touch through your podcast and that, you know, I love that. I think that's great. It, it is pretty amazing. I, I will say um, I have been really surprised by the success. Um, and, yeah. And su- success breeds success. You know, more and more people, uh, you know, it, it, it's like that flower. It's going to continue to open and it's going to flow and you're bringing in more energy and more people 
into your orbit. And that's great. That's great. So are you, do you still receive messages from the messengers? Is there going to be a, a yeah. third and fourth and fifth book to <laughs> find out more yeah. information? Like, 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 like how, like, yeah. like how much stuff is being revealed to you? Well, first of all, in my first book, um, I only used, I don't know, maybe a quarter of the material that I had. So, I could even go back just in, in, in all of the messages that I have and make more and more. In fact, um, Donna Rebido, uh, you know, mm -hmm. Donna, yeah. she was a, a guest on your, on your podcast, but mm -hmm. she has a podcast called Exploring Consciousness. And she asked me a, a year or so ago to be a, a guest on her show. So I did. And she, like you, you know, she's had a near death experience. And she bought The Reluctant Messenger and really resonated with her. She started texting me and saying, oh, 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 page 12, you say this. Oh, page 22, this, blah, blah, blah. But Dawn is very spiritually connected. Um, so she's really aware of her guidance to you from the other side. Well, her team gave her some very specific advice. They said start a YouTube channel called The Reluctant Messenger Unleashed about my first book. So mm -hmm. we did. We had like 26 episodes. So if if any uh, in your audience, they, they're interested in my book, you don't have to buy it. Go to YouTube and search The Reluctant Messenger Unleashed. And we have this book club where we've gone through the, the book. I mean, it starts off pretty rough, but boy, we, we hit our stride. And we talk about the book chapter by chapter, sometimes page by page. But there was so much insight that came from the messengers during our recording of The Reluctant Messenger Unleashed that I thought, I can't let this go. So I actually published a second edition of the book. And it's like 50 pages longer than the first one. But to answer your question... Yes, I still get messages all the time. The other day when I was doing, because I have like a couple, three YouTube channels. When I was recording on my YouTube channel, all of a sudden this vision came in. And the messenger said that once you connect with the other side, you know, whether it's a specific messenger, maybe even in your dreams, you connect to your, you know, your deceased father, for example. Once you've made that connection, You've set the foundation and you can go back and connect again. And all of a sudden, while I'm talking about this, they give me this vision and I'm in this small plane and I'm the pilot, which is pretty scary. And I don't know where I'm going. I'm above the clouds and all I have is my instrument panel. My instrument panel tells me I'm on, I'm on location, you know, so I have to trust it. So I'm trusting it, and all of a sudden, I dip below the cloud level, and voila, there are the runway lights. It's like, Phew. so then I land the plane. And each time I land the plane or go back, those runway lights become stronger. Mm -hmm. So this was a beautiful message for me. It said that once we make the connection, we know how to return. 
So we have to trust our guidance, which is our heart. We just make that connection. I'm going to connect with my dad again, whether it's in your dreams or whatever. And you just allow your energy body, your heart, you allow your essence to track it. And all of a sudden you'll see those runway lights and it's like, yeah, here I am. I'm back again. But once you start exploring that other side, those connections are being made time and time again. And at will, you can go back to any destination that you want. So, yes, I still get the messages. I still get the visions. And it just makes life so much fun, Gary. <laughs> awesome. Great. That is fantastic. Um <clears throat> So before we wrap this up, where's the best place for my listeners to find you, find your book, the YouTube channel, and every all the other stuff that you've been doing? You know, I, I'm on so many different social media, too. Uh, best place is just go to my website, Candice, with an I, CandiceSanderson.com. My books are on um, Amazon's the easiest place to find them. Mm-hmm. Um but you can see all the different social media that I'm on, or you can always tune into Gary's podcast because I'm going <laughs> to knock on his door now and then say, bring me back. Yeah, of course. <laughs> awesome. Which I do love. I love this, Gary. So thank you for having me. Thank you. So I'll put a link to your website in notes of the episode. I'll also maybe pop a Amazon link in there to your books. And uh, it's been a pleasure having you back on. And we have to do it again. Sounds great, Gary. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Hang on for one more moment, and I just have to play the outro. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or message him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the cost of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of this page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. You can also buy the book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need. You can find it on Amazon and it will change your life. Because remember, everything that it says was first imagined.